Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Um, So I want to get right into the message today. I'm going to start off with my title. It's a, a message that I share with my staff and they liked it. Um, but it's a hard message. It's a tough message. And so I said, I can never preach this message. I preach it at them because I pay them. <laughs> they can't leave, you know. And so, um, and so, but I said, they said, you should preach this message to the church. And I said, well, I don't think I can preach it to the church. I think it's just a little too rough. And they were like, well, you could preach it the first Thursday. And I was like, you're right. I can preach it the first Thursday. <laughs> so the title of tonight's talk is Make a Sandwich. Make a sandwich. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, it'll make sense uh, in a little bit. Uh, tell your neighbor, tell him, make a sandwich. But say it with disdain. You know what I'm saying? Say it like, 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 you, like you're a stay-at-home mom who's been cleaning all day, and your husband comes home talking about where's dinner, and you've been doing all the work. You just look at it. You go, make a sandwich, man. Make a, say it like that. Make a sandwich. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11. I really want to preach from the entire chapter 5 of Hebrews, and um, we will. But I want to start at verse 11. It goes like this. If you don't have it, we've got it on the screen. I do, I do, I do declare. We've got it on the screen. Hebrews 5, chapter, 11, chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. We're trying to make it clear to you, but, but I can't make it clear to you because you no longer try um, to understand. I, I want to share from you, with you from the entirety of Hebrews chapter 5. But before I can do that, I needed to give you this disclaimer. The same disclaimer that the author of Hebrews gives to the Hebrews that he's writing to, the, the Jewish population that he's writing to. And um, the disclaimer he's giving is, I'm trying to tell you something, but you're not getting it. And the reason why you're not getting it isn't because what I'm saying is difficult to understand. The reason why you're not getting it is because you stopped trying to understand it. And, and that's, that's key. And I think that a lot of us can relate. Have you ever avoided understanding something because you knew the implications of what understanding that thing would mean for you? Uh, the other day, Liz tried to teach me how to use our pancake griddle. She said, you should learn how to use the pancake griddle. And I thought about it for a little bit, and then I said, no. Um, I don't want to learn. I don't want to understand how to use the pancake griddle. Because in my house, every morning, the boys ask for pancakes from the pancake griddle. And up until this point, I've been able to say to them, sorry, I don't know how to use the pancake griddle. And, and so, and so, and, I, and they're cool with that because if daddy doesn't know, he can't help you. I'll make you cereal. I could do cereal. That takes a second. You want cereal? I understand that if I understand, then through understanding, it's going to put a, a, a weight on me. And I think the reason why the Hebrews are pushing back on the author's revelation is because they understand that with revelation comes responsibility. And they don't want the responsibility, so they're going to reject 
the revelation. And the responsibility that the author of Hebrews is trying to put on them, the revelation that they're trying to give them, you see it in the very first line in verse, in verse 1. Now we can go to verse 1. So now we can go back. Now that we got the disclaimer. And so I say that to say that you're probably not going to want to hear what I've got to preach tonight. But, but you're a first Thursday crowd. And so you're going to be a more open to it. Verse 1 goes like this. It says, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, this is a bit high level, but I'm going to break it down for you. Essentially, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's dismantling the, the ironic priestly structure that the Jews used. Um, in order to be a priest, you had to be from the descendant of this guy's name Aaron who lived thousands and thousands of years ago. And a priest would be essentially the middleman between you and God. He would be the one who would do the sacrifices for you. Um, if you had mold in your house, you would run to the priest. Um, if you touched a dead body by accident, you would run to the priest. If you had a skin, if you had a rash and you had to run to the priest. If, if you were sick or if someone in your family died, you had to run to the priest. And in a lot of ways, it was convenient because you had this middleman managing your relationship with God for you. And so now the author of Hebrews is coming with the revelation that the middleman has gone and that Jesus Christ himself has set himself up as the middleman. And that's what we're going to continue to read in verse 2. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins. He's talking about the priest, the Aaronic structure, the descendants of Aaron, as well as for the sins of the people. Verse 4, and no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ, now he's switching. Now, we're not going to go with that model anymore. We're going to switch it, and we got the new model, okay? We, have, we were at the iPhone iPhone 7 or whatever that, now we're at the iPhone, I don't even know what they got right now, XXL. But this is the better iPhone. This is the better system. This is the better way. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, and today I have become your father and he says there's another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So now he's changing the structure. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. He's saying you, he acted like the priest. He was our priest with cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Verse 10, and he was designated by God to be the new high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so I'll, I'll summarize it for you. Essentially, what the author is saying is you've been used to, run, you've been used to running to people to, to, to manage a relationship with God. But here's what, what God did. God sent Jesus to be the mediator. So now he got rid of the middleman. But the, but the thing about Jesus is Jesus is also God. And so by making the middleman Jesus, God became the middleman. He eliminated it, eliminated it entirely. And, here, and here's, the, here's the crux. Here's the message. What, what, what this shift now means for anybody who's called to be a Christian, he's saying, now, now, no more running to people. Now run to God. In this new structure, he took people out of the middle and said, because people didn't work. You see, Jesus is the better mediator. He's the better high priest. A, because he can understand us like nobody can. It's not on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, Jesus understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not 
sin. He understood us. I'm so grateful that God understands me so that when I make a mistake, you know, it's easy to judge people when you don't understand what they're going through. I'm thankful for Jesus. We, we, we uh, recently went to a nursing home. Our surf Saturday team went to a nursing home, and they did such a great job. They set up all these decorations. Um, and in the nursing home, there are some people, from what I hear, who really love that we're there. And there are other people who work at the nursing home who, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they don't love Jesus. Maybe they don't love Jeremy. I don't know. But they don't like us. And so, um, and they kind of give us maybe some attitude and things of that nature. And we're so grateful for being there. And one of our leaders came back saying, man, you know, they had that kind of attitude again. We were all positive. We all did good. And you know, my first response to that was, I said, you know what? I had a grandma who worked in that field. It can be really hard when you're dealing with death every day, when you're dealing with sadness every day. And you can tell as we were beginning to understand where that person was coming from, how our judgments began to fell a little bit. Because you can understand the life that they're living. I'm so grateful that the judge understands because he himself was a human and knows exactly what we were going through. But he's better than the old model because the old model was a man. And guess what every man's problem was? And it said it in verse 3. He said, because the man is not perfect, he has to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. But Jesus is absolutely perfect. In other, way, in other words, what the author is saying, the reason why you can't run to people is because people fail. People will fail, but there's only one man who's ever lived who's never failed, and that's Jesus Christ. If you were here this past Sunday, I shared two Greek words with you, Petros and Petra. And it was from a sermon called uh, Love Built This. And uh, it's when Jesus talks to Peter. And he says, you, and you shall be called Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I used to think that Peter was the rock. But that didn't make sense because every time you build on people, it crumbles. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's a business, whether it's a church. You build on a person, it falls. Turns out that there's two Greek words. One which is Petros, which is the one that means Peter, and it means stone or brick. Petra means foundation. Jesus was saying, I'm the foundation, but you're the brick. People make great bricks, but terrible foundations. They make great things to build with, but terrible things to build on. You can't build your life on people. If you build your life on people, it will fail and crumble. And this is the problem with the Hebrews that this author is writing to. If you look at verse 11, he says, we have much to say about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Remember, we read that already. Now verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, look at it. You still need someone. You still need someone. You're still struck in the old model. You're still going to people to get things that people can't give you that only Jesus can give you. You still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. But you ought to be the teachers yourself, it says in the verse prior. You know, teachers have work to do. I used to be a teacher, and the students, they had it so easy. You know, they, they just showed up. I had to do the hard work. I had to get through the textbook. I had to get all the knowledge and the revelation and the information. All you had to do was sit there and take notes. The teacher had to do the work himself. And what the author is saying is here, now you're the teacher. Now, that doesn't eliminate teachers. There's still the spiritual gift of teaching in the church. Amen? If there wasn't, I'd be out of a job. So I'm grateful that we have the spiritual gift of teaching. But what the author is trying to say is you can no longer place on someone else the onus for personal growth. You can't depend on anyone else now for your growth. If you want to grow, you got to grow yourself. You cannot depend on a teacher. Now you don't have, don't depend on someone else. Um, I've got two master's degrees, and I'd say that to say that I've been in school a long time, a lot of school. And I've had some really good teachers, teachers that have molded my life, and I've had really bad teachers, really bad teachers. I had one teacher that was so bad that he recorded his lecture, he put it online, and on the online lecture, I'm taking notes, and, and I also have open next to me an encyclopedia. We were studying about Egypt, 
And as I have my Encyclopedia Britannica open, and by open, I mean on my computer because who owns encyclopedias anymore? I had my digital encyclopedia open, and I'm looking up the topic in Egypt that we're reading about, and I'm hearing him speak. And as he's speaking, I'm looking at my encyclopedia verbatim. He had his whole lecture was taken from Encyclopedia Britannica right from there. Uh, and we had other students who were in that class. And when the semester was over, there was a ton of students who came out of that class and said, man, I learned nothing. I learned nothing. He was such a bad teacher. I told him, I said, really? I learned a ton. Because I didn't put on someone else the responsibility to teach me. I don't care how good or bad of a teacher you are. I understood when I went in there whose responsibility it was to learn. Good teacher or not, it's my job to learn. I don't care if you're the worst teacher in the world. I'll learn what you're going to learn, how not to teach. Either way, I'm coming out of there with a lesson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. You got to learn that you can't put the responsibility on anyone else for you to grow. You got to learn to teach yourself to grow. You got to take the responsibility on you to develop spiritually. That's what you got to do. It said elementary. I like that word. He said to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. It reminded me of a conversation I had recently with Justice. Um, I came downstairs to mediate a fight like I often do. I actually, you know how they have prayer closets? You ever heard that term? I literally had to create a prayer closet. It's my laundry room. Liz found me in there the other day. I was like, it's not what it looks like. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I came out the laundry room, and she was like, she's making breakfast. She's like, just, it was a stare, like, I don't know what's going through your mind, a million scenarios. But I started hiding out in the laundry room because the kids started coming down during my prayer time. And, uh, and so I now what I do is they come up before 7.30. So I just tell Liz, like, before 7.30, I'm not here. And so now I run into the laundry room when they wake up early. But while I was in the laundry room, they started fighting. So now I'm like, I want to be a good Christian, but I got to be a good dad. Somebody's going to get beat up. I got to come outside. So I went outside of my prayer closet, and I started talking to Justice, and they were fighting over an iPad. Justice wanted Zane's iPad, but they both have iPads. Um, you know, we bought them both iPads. You know, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself. You're fighting over things that you think you want, but the Father already gave it to you. So stop hating on somebody else's iPad when God bought you an iPad. The reason why you don't have it is because you don't charge your iPad, um, <laughs> which is a whole other sermon in that. We're not going to get there. A whole other sermon in that. Um, but that's exactly what happened. He didn't charge his iPad. So he comes down wanting his brother's iPad. And I'm like, you can't have your brother's iPad. He's using it. Get your iPad. He said, well, I, I didn't charge it. Um, and you know, he didn't say I didn't charge it because that, when you make a mistake, you never take blame. He said it's dead, which is another sermon in and of itself. I can, I'm, I can just go off on these things. You know, is it, is it that it died or that you didn't charge it, right? And so anyway, so I just told him, I said, well, it's not dead. You didn't charge it. You ought to go charge it. And he just said, I can't. I said, I don't understand. What do you mean you can't? He goes, I can't charge it. It's upstairs. <laughs> I'm like, well, you can walk upstairs and you can plug it in the wall, it'd be just fine. He goes, no, I, I can't. And so I explained to him how all he had to do was go upstairs, go to mommy and daddy's room, grab the charger, plug it in the wall. But he was crying so much, he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and all he could say was, I don't understand. <laughs> so I slowed down. You know, as a parent, you experiment with things. We're in an experimenting phase right now. We're trying to treat them like adults, you know, like, like in the, talk to them, you know. And every parent, I think, goes through that at, at some point. But then there's a point in every parent's way like, okay, no, you listen, you're six. Go do it because I said so, you know. But I just, I was just, I was like, I was trying to explain to him. So I sat down and then I got to his level. I used shorter words. I spoke slower. 
every time I explained to him that all he had to do was go upstairs, grab the charger from mommy's daddy's room, put it in the wall, plug it in. He continued to answer, I don't understand what you're saying. And then it hit me. It's that he, it wasn't that he couldn't understand. It's that he didn't want to understand because understanding would invoke responsibility. So he, went, he didn't want to, to, to understand it. And, and it. and it also dawned on me that I could just give him his, because his, his brother didn't even want to play with it anymore. But now it's the principle of the thing, right? I could, just, I could just give him the iPad. But as I was thinking about giving him the iPad, I realized that there is a spectrum in life. And on one side of the spectrum is get. And on the other side of the spectrum is grow. You got grow on one spectrum and you got get on the other. Now, he can't just get the iPad. I can just give it to him and he can just get it. But if he just gets it, he won't grow. And what you got to understand is that get and grow never touch. They always exist on opposite sides of the spectrum. If you're getting something in your life right now, you are not growing. Which, by the way, is why you haven't gotten what you've been praying for because God's been growing you. There's a book out. You ought to read it. It's called Sometimes I, Sometimes I Win, Sometimes I Learn. But you never win and learn at the same time. When you're getting and you're winning, you don't even know why. Sometimes you got to sit and evaluate. Why is everything going so good? But every time you lose, every time you're waiting, you're growing. So you either get or you grow. And that brings us to make a sandwich. <laughs> I was going to get there eventually. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. Somebody say mature. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I can't tell you how many people I have met in, in my 30 plus years of, of being in church environment and church world who have left their body of faith or their church or their religious community under the premise of, I had to go. Why? I wasn't being fed. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'm going to put you out like that. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes we've said that. We all know somebody who's, who said that. I'm not, I'm not being fed. I, I wasn't being fed. And I'm not really sure what that means. Um, I think it might mean maybe you didn't meet, the pastor wasn't meeting with you enough. I think it might mean nobody was doing Bible studies with you. I'm really trying to get my mind around it, especially now that I'm a pastor. Um, maybe it means that, you know, you just didn't like the worship song. I don't, I don't know, but I think it all boils down in one way, shape, or form to this sentence. And, and that, before I give you this sentence, I love you. <laughs> I love you so much. And I'm only sharing this with you because I love you. But it all boils down to some form of this sentence. What I'm not being fed means is I'm not growing and it's someone else's fault. I expect a lot of amens there. That's okay. What, what we're saying is I'm not growing and it's someone else's fault. And I want to share with you a metaphor that was passed on to me by a, a fellow church planner. He's five years ahead of me. And he was talking about the launch meetings. And, and I asked him, I was like, what about the core team, you know? I want to make sure that the core team is excited and, and stays pumped up, you know? And he was like, yeah, I know I wrestled with a little bit of that too. And, uh, and, and I would have a lot of people come up to me saying, I just don't feel fed, Pastor. I just don't feel fed. I just don't feel fed. He said, and you know what I told him one day? I said, you know, man, I love you. But the only people who ever complain about not being fed are babies. 
babies are the only ones who need a bottle. Everybody else, if you're hungry, if you're hungry, make a sandwich. I'm not, I'm not being fat. Well, well, you know, okay, but are you a baby? This is why they said I couldn't preach this to the church on Sundays. So I don't go first. Are you, are you a baby or, or, or are you growing up? Because if you're growing up, man, man, make a sandwich, right? Like, like take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. Like, you got podcasts, you got the Bible, you got the Bible app, you got sermons, you got YouTube. And above all that, you got the Holy Spirit living inside of your heart. You got the great counselor, the great comforter, the one who would help you remember. You can go to Jesus. If you're hungry, eat. If you're not growing, learn. But when we place expectations on others to feed and grow us, we revert to an ironic form of priesthood which has been demolished by Jesus Christ. We no longer run to people. We run to? It was God. The answer to that question was God. <laughs> we no longer run to people. We run to? We run to God. We no longer run to? That's the answer to the question, yeah. You know what poor pastors are? And I'm, I'm not speaking to y'all because y'all love me. I love you. I'm, I'm speaking for all pastors everywhere else, okay? I got no, no bullets in my gun here. This is for nobody. This is just, I'm just sharing with you. You know what pastors are? Pastors are shepherds. It's the word. It's what it means. In Spanish, pastor, it's, 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 it literally means shepherd. And I've seen shepherds do a lot of things for their sheep. I've seen shepherds protect their sheep. I've seen shepherds correct their sheep. I've seen shepherds lead their sheep. But I have never seen a shepherd feed their sheep. I've never seen a shepherd go to the food store and, and, and buy some food and, and hear sheep. He didn't do that because all his job is is to lead them to green pastures. They're the ones who need to eat. They're the ones who do the eating. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you in the time that we have left, teach you how to make a sandwich. I know it sounds like all that was the intro. It wasn't. So just chill. It, it really is wrapping up. Be like, that was his intro, baby. <laughs> the moment he closes his eyes, I'm going to the parking lot. I'll go first, then you go after. It'll be like, I'll go to the bathroom, then you go to the bathroom, and then we'll be gone. <laughs> I know how you do. Because I do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to make a sandwich. Now, listen, every sandwich has two parts. I, you know, I, was, I made it real simple because there's a thousand, million, billion times, like, different types of sandwiches. But if you break a sandwich down to its basic elements, you got bread and you got the middle. <laughs> Can we just call this the middle? Okay, because it goes in the middle of the bread. Okay, you got bread and you got the middle. And so the first thing I want to talk about is the middle. Now, now here's what I'm doing to give you some rewind. Re re I'm teaching you how you can grow on your own. Okay, how you can make a spiritual sandwich to develop as a, as a believer so you spiritually develop so you can go to that next level. So you no longer can say, oh, I'm not being, not being fed. I want to help you because I can't be there for you your whole life. So I need to teach you how to, how to do this, okay? Um, and so, so, okay, make a sandwich. All right, the middle. <laughs> what does the middle symbolize? All right. Stop running to people, run to? Run to God, stop running to? Run to God, stop running to? Okay, the middle is people. Ironically. I know, I know, I know, confused you because I just said, but that's what I did. See, I created this tension and I'm going to give you the answer. It's a tension. James chapter 5, verse 16. 
confess your sins to one another and you shall be healed. Oh, you don't have James 5, 16? It's on, I promise it's the Bible verse, even if you don't see it. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and you shall be healed. The verse says healed, not saved. Confess your sins to Jesus and you will be saved. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Proverbs says, 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. People can't be your savior, but they can be your sharpener. People can't be your savior, but they can be your sharpener. We need people in our lives to grow. The problem isn't people, y'all. The problem is the expectations we put on people. What if your problem isn't that you have bad friends? What if you have great friends, but you've just been expecting something from your friends that your friends are not designed to give you? Somebody's like, oh, I should probably call them back then <laughs> and apologize for that whole thing I did over the phone. I just, you were expecting them to be your savior, and they were never created to be your savior. They were created to be your sharpener. Okay, so, so people are the, are the middle. You need them to grow. Okay, we, we operate that in Journey Church. We do journey groups, okay, and, th and things of that nature. Even on our teams, we have community. We need people to grow and develop. That's why God made the church. Okay, so, so three things about the middle that you got to know. Number one, the middle is messy. The middle is messy. And people are messy. But the messiness is where the taste comes from. I went to this restaurant called The Teak. Anybody ever been to The Teak? Oh, it's amazing. It's a burger joint. And I went with my friend Michael, and Michael said, you got to try this burger. I never tried it. My friend told me it was a fried egg, uh, cheese, bacon, meat, amen, um, bacon, in between, in between two cinnamon sugar donuts. The, the junk was about this big. You couldn't even get your mouth. I literally asked the waiter for advice. I said, sir, can you tell me, how do people normally eat this? He said, one bite at a time. I said, santo. No, I'm just kidding. Said, that'll preach. That'll preach. That'll preach. A lot of side preachings today. Um, he said, one bite at a time. Listen, I couldn't get all up in the mess, but boy, was that mess delicious. People are messy. But if you want to live a life of flavor, you're going to have to jump in the mess. You're going to have to just be okay getting messy. Nobody's perfect. There's a great verse um, in, a, there's a great verse in Proverbs that says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. It said, listen, if you ever walk into a stable and it doesn't smell like crap, it's because nobody's doing work. That's what he said. He said, but if it smells bad, it's because the oxen are there. And guess what? Oxen always plowed in pairs. The moment you hitch yourself up to somebody else in life, there's going to be crap. But crap is the proof that it's working. The middle's messy. The middle's messy. Another thing you need to know is that the middle is always an experiment. <laughs> the middle's an experiment. How many people have ever experimented with sandwiches before? <laughs> Come on. Isn't that like one of the great joys of life? Like, you're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get crazy. I'm going to get crazy up in here. I'm going to make me a crazy. I've never even heard of that one. You give it your own names. 
I remember being a, a you know a, a teenager, not even not even probably like maybe Justice and Zane's age, and I really loved pickle and I really loved mayonnaise. So I made me a pickle and mayonnaise sandwich. And I'm talking about like the quarter cuts, not like the circle pickles, like the big quarter cut dill pickles. Put them three in there, mayonnaise. It was horrible. It was the worst. It was terrible. Hey, but, but I didn't know if I didn't experiment. So what I did was I took out the pickles. I put something else in. You see, relationships are a lot like making a sandwich. You don't really know what you got until you put it all together. And then once you take a bite of it, you got to take out what tastes bad and keep what tastes good. Your relationship circle needs to be an experiment. And as you mature in life, you need to keep the people who are adding value to your life. And you need to kick out the people who are draining your life. But you're never going to figure out the perfect sandwich if you're not willing to experiment. You got to experiment with it. You got you to gotta, you gotta work with it. Listen, and if you haven't changed your sandwich since grade school, if you've been eating the same sandwich since grade school, then don't complain when you got grade school problems. Some of y'all still have drama, like third grade drama, because you got your friends from third grade. You thought you were past that. You're like, I'm not in high school anymore. Why do I still got this drama? Because you still got those friends. So kick out who you need to kick out, and you need to keep who you need to keep, but you got to be willing to get out there and experiment. Don't let the fear of a bad taste keep you from experimenting. And that's why you won't try joining a journey group, because you got a bad taste in your mouth. So you're drinking bottles of milk, not being fed. Oh, you could eat. Eating is within your power if you, if you put yourself out there, which is the last point. The middle... The middle is good preaching, right? Amen. Hope it's helping you. The middle, the middle is in the pantry. The middle is in the pantry. I made the illest sandwich. That's my New York coming out of it. For anybody who's not a good, I made the good sandwich. I made a good sandwich. I made a good sandwich. When was it? When did we have it? Two days ago, I told Liz, I was like, we got to, like, write the recipe. Okay, I was hungry, and there was nothing to eat, and I wasn't going to, you know, go to her because she had been busy all day. She was doing something on the phone, so I made a sandwich, and, and the only thing available, <laughs> as I looked, I, I found the comment. It, it, was, it was a bee pollen and peanut butter sandwich. Delicious, okay? The point I'm trying to get across is I had to dig into the pantry to find it, but I knew that if I dig long enough, I would find the ingredients that I needed to make the sandwich that I was wanting. And I think that when I ask people to get into relationships or to find a mentor or to, you know, you know get some friends, everybody said, well, there's nobody. And what I wanted to tell you is that the middle is in the pantry. The friends are there. But you got to go in and you got to look and you got to be patient while you find the friends that you need. All right? The middle is in the pantry. So don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. The middle is in the pantry. You just got to keep looking. There's a mentor in there for you. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a friend in there for you. There's a spouse in there for you. They're in the pantry. Okay. RJ, she's in the pantry. She's in the pantry, RJ. She's waiting. She's there. People who listen to this on the podcast can be like, who's RJ? He's a successful entrepreneur who is single, 
and uh, does amazing video. If you're interested, you can DM us on the Journey Institute, okay? We'll hook it up. We'll hook it up. So I talked to you about the middle. Let me talk to you about the bread. Somebody say bread. bread. If the middle is people, then the bread, well, that should be easy. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, can you guys move? They can't see it. Back up. I got a couple more verses, y'all, so let the see here. Jesus says, I am the Because he holds it all together. Because he holds it all together. He contains the mess. He contains the middle. He is the bread. And that symbolism is often used with Jesus and with God's presence. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was a, uh, I'm reading the book of Numbers right now, going through a chapter a day in the book of, I just got out of Leviticus. I was excited to get out of Leviticus. Now I'm in Numbers. And uh, Numbers will bless your life, man. And it talks about the temple. And in this temple, there's a lot of symbolism. And uh, God is really giving you a picture of himself in every element. And so he talks about the curtains. And he talks about the mercy seat. And he talks about, and then he talks about his presence. He says, I want you to know that my presence will always be with you. And it's so interesting to me, the item that he uses to symbolize his presence. If I was God, the symbol I would have used would have been gold. Because at the time, gold was the most valuable resource that you could ever have. Gold was rare. You went digging for gold. So if I was God, I would have preached that. You know, my presence is gold because it's valuable. And it'll put you through the fire. And you got to dig for me. All those things. Maybe silver. Uh, maybe velvet, um, that was a real rare, you know, fabric, that, that would be cool. It wasn't. He said, the item that I'm going to choose, now he has the whole world at his disposal. He says, the item that I'm going to choose to symbolize my presence is bread. And if you look in the Old Testament, you will see the bread of the presence, the bread of the presence. You know why? Because you can live without gold. And you can live without silver. And you can live without velvet. There's one thing we can't live without, and it's bread. It's food. It's sustenance. And what Jesus was saying, I'm picking the one thing in this world you got to have to be sustained. You got to live, to grow. Nothing will grow you more, hear me out, than the presence of God. There's some growth that happens in community. Amen. And we got journey groups for that, and we got dream teams for that. And if you're not on a team, encourage you to get on a team, take a next step, speak with me, speak with Pastor Jenny, she'll get you on a team. If, if you're not in a group, we're in a break right now, join in January, but there's some aspects of your life that cannot grow outside of the presence of God. Only in God's presence. Here, here's what the Bible says, if you don't um, believe me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Strengthen, build up. Jude chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. But here's the catch, y'all. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, look, I'm telling you that you got to get into God's presence in order to grow. Only in God's presence will, will, will part of you grow. But here's the thing about God's presence. This is, this is how it sets it up. New Testament theology here. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here's my question. 
who draws first, you or God? James says that we draw first, and then when we draw, God draws. Now, some people might say, well, that's not fair. If God really loved me, he would draw first. He did. It's called Calvary. He could have stood in heaven forever. His first step was out of heaven onto earth for you and for me. But now that the cross has been put behind us, now he says, okay, now what's your move? I stepped out. I'm here. I'm ready for a relationship. I'm ready for my presence to sustain you and grow you and develop you and to sharpen your character and shape you up. But it's your move. I already took the move. It's, it's your step. It's your next step. You got to draw first. John the Beloved, do you guys know his name? We'll close out here. We can dim the lights. We'll finish. John the Beloved, I don't know if you know this guy. He's one of the disciples of Jesus. There's a passage of scripture I really like. We'll close here. John 13, 23. One of them, look what he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is what we call in the Christian world humble brag. It's like when you're bragging, but you do it in a way that makes you sound humble, you know? And so this is like, like, because the Bible was written by humans, by the way. So I don't, I'm not a big fan of the title, but if it's theirs because God wanted it to be there and teach us something. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way. He's, he's not even calling himself by his name. He's just saying, I'm just the one Jesus loves. What's your name, disciple Jesus loves? That's me. Like, Jesus loves the whole world, bro. Get over yourself. <laughs> but he does have an intimate relationship with God. After all, he does write the book of Revelation. And we all know that Revelation comes through intimacy. And so he must have had a level of intimacy with God that God would entrust him with the secret. Because you don't tell secrets to people that you're not close to. So God gives him the secret of the end times because there's a relationship. What was John's secret? How come he gets to call himself the one whom Jesus loved? How come he gets to be the one who talks about revelations? This is the last supper with the bread. How come? Look at the verse. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Have you ever seen a picture of the last supper? Uh, was it Da Vinci? Da Vinci painted it. And it's Jesus in the middle. He's got the bread and he's like. And there's this one disciple who's there and he's just like this on Jesus. And I got to imagine the disciples coming into the upper room for the meal. There's 12 chairs, 13 including Jesus, only 12. And it's like a game of musical chairs. The moment Jesus goes in the upper room, can you, can you imagine, John? The moment he goes, he's, he's like scoping out the scene. Jesus picks a chair and John's like. Shotgun. Dibs, my seat. How come he got to sit next to Jesus? Because he was the only one that wanted to. He fought to. He pushed his way to. He shoved some people out the way to get. You better leave. Peter was trying to get in that seat. You better believe James and James were arguing over who's to be the right. You better believe they were the ones that he was like, whoop, no, in there. In there like somewhere. And then when he was in there, the Bible says he, he, the Bible says he reclined on Jesus. Are you catching this? He was the disciple whom Jesus loved because he was the disciple who was pressing in to God's presence. God's presence is free for you and me to grow in. 
But if we want to embrace God's presence, we got to press in to God's presence. We got to recline into God's presence. We got to lean in to God's presence. We got to push and kick and pull our way to God's presence. We got to get people out the way and we got to get ourselves into God's presence. I'm not waiting on somebody to feed me. I'm going to make my sandwich. I'm going to take my blessing. I'm going to get mine. You get yours, I'm going to get mine. I'm going after God. I'm going after God. I'm going after him. I'm going after his presence. I'm going after relationship. I'm going to do it myself. 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 So I'm going to ask our prayer team to come line up. And listen, you know, I know it's late. You could go. You're already dismissed. There'll be no judgment on you. But here's what I want to do tonight. I want you to grow. I want you to experience the type of relationship with God. I want people to say about you when you're done. I want your legacy to be, she was the one who Jesus loved. He was the one who Jesus loved. She was the one always sitting next to him. He was the one reclining right next to her. He was the one. She was the one. And so here's what I want to ask you to do tonight because it's our job, y'all. God's presence is here, but he says, but you got to draw. And so listen, I'm going to count to three. And, and then on three, if you need prayer, I'm going to invite you to come to the front, and we're going to pray for you, and we're going to help you press in if you need it. If you feel like you don't need it, you can stay right where you are. God's presence isn't limited to a 12 by 20 square foot space up here. But even if you're going to sit down, here's what I want you to do. I want you to press in. I want you to lean in. I don't want you to sit back and say, well, God, if you're real, you need to show me. God's like, no, I am real. You press into me. You lean into me. You lift up your hand. You sing that song. You pour your heart out and see if I don't come running and see if I don't meet you in the middle and see if my, my spirit doesn't descend on you. See if my presence doesn't come on you like a fire. See if my presence doesn't come on you. Are you ready? If you need prayer, I want you up here. If not, then I want you right where you are, just leaning in, reclining on Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Are you ready? One, nobody's looking. Two, if you need prayer, I want to see you up here. I want to help you. If not, let's lean in. One, two, three, come on up if you want prayer. If you want to lean into God's presence, we'll help you. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.